0: hey everyone and welcome to the podcast today we're fortunate to have jose Subero from miro here to talk about how they're creating spaces that adapt over time specifically through designing exploratory environments instead of prescriptive ones my name is rebecca corliss and i'm joined by my co-host omar ramirez welcome to true understanding Jose, really glad to have you here, Uh, excited to jump in to set the stage for our listeners right now. Can you tell us a little bit about the spaces you manage, how many they are, really give us a sense of the scope?
1: Great. Uh, First of all, thanks for having me here. Right now, Miro has 11 offices um, uh, across the world. We have put a lot of effort in our HQ in Amsterdam right now, where I'm sitting. Um, and we have used this as the testing ground for our workplace concept, which is basically a big experiment. It's a building that was built in the 1920s in the Amsterdam style uh, school. Uh, It's like Art Deco. Um, And uh, we have kept all, we have worked really hard to keep all the detailing, everything uh, on touch as much as possible. So we had to work and set up this whole office, without taking down a single wall. Not one. Wow. Not one. So that's 3,000 square meters. Like, uh, that would be around 30,000 square square feet, I believe. We are are really proud. It was a massive achievement. So, yeah. um, Yeah. uh, yeah. So then the principle for that was that if we already have the space partition, it's very difficult not to have silos because the moment you start... uh, having too much of the same space type repeated over and over, you create smaller offices. So then this becomes an office that, um, a bigger office that holds many smaller companies. And since we don't have a lot of legacy and silos about that, we, we are in a privileged position to still keep going that way. Right? So we try to do as many diverse space types as possible to encourage the traffic between the rooms and making sure that people would um, circulate across uh, throughout the building um, and to balance that out
0: that's smart so
1: um yeah so that that was a that was one of the approaches that we took of course then we get feedback that some of the rooms uh you know the acoustic don't work that uh, our team has grown so then we need to make swaps, uh, change the the the, the whole uh, typology of a room, move mm-hmm. teams from one to the other. You know the typical uh, things, but but we are since we have the flexibility that's uh, relatively easy for us to do.
0: I'm curious, what are some of the real specific experiments or maybe one of your favorite that you've run? What was the experiment? How did you set it up? And what did you ultimately learn that then drove real impact for the employees using the space?
1: Uh, When it goes uh, to the very specific uh, test that we're doing, um, in this room that I am right now, now, um, we created this room to, um, to do customer engagements. And the brief for that was that it needs to fit x, x amount of people, let's say 12 to 12 people, and it needs to be the most the most flexible thing ever. Why? Because we don't know. <laughs> we we don't know we don't know what we want yet, and we don't know what our customers want. So that 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 was basically the brief. And what we created is um is is just a very simple very simple space, uh, with modular tables that can be nested uh, uh, together. The tables are um, with, uh, with a writable surface. And we wanted to, to keep that because Miro, it started as a whiteboard. And we still have that um, connection to the analog part of that. We, don't, we didn't want to be prescriptive on, no, you should use only the digital even when we meet. There's freedom. And, and we want to keep that freedom at all levels. So um, the tables are a whiteboard. We use the digital whiteboards. Um, we bring uh, other video conferencing tools uh, and a number of other uh, devices, um, and that creates um, explorative environment, and it has been extremely successful with our with our customers. Extremely successful, and it's, it's the most sim- it's the most simple thing we did actually. Hmm.
0: That's great. And then while you're describing the room, I must please tell me about the fantastic friend that's sitting behind you uh, over your shoulder could you tell those who are listening to the video version of this uh, who that is for everybody because it can't go unnoticed it can't
1: <laughs> that's my uh, yeah well that's the boss <laughs> right there <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so um, so that's uh, that's one of the that's a poster that uh, from the uh, Miro campaign that was launched in the US about uh, uh, tackling monster problems. So using Miro, ta- attacking monster problems using Miro. So um, it's a very, very funny video and it's really well done. So I, I would advise you to to check it out on YouTube.
2: Yeah. For for context, for everyone listening to this and not seeing the video right now, there's, there's a yellow poster with an orange monster on it behind uh, Jose's l- left shoulder um, that says Problem Solver, I think. Or Problem Solved underneath problem it? Problem Solved. Yeah. Problem Solved. Um, yeah, it's a little menacing. I didn't even realize it when we first started recording this.
0: <laughs> oh, I love it. I think it's fantastic.
2: <laughs> it's an, it's an experiment. We're going to see how the viewers react. So, Ho- Jose, when you're yeah I think when you're talking about these experiments, you obviously come from a architectural background. When you're talking about the education of your teams internally how how do you go about that? How do you go about educating people in a way, especially at a you know a fast scaling startup like miro i think I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this who will be also be at fast scaling startups who don't necessarily have the time to slow down? How do you get your point across or get information to the people who need it to educate them in a timely manner while also still moving forward on the projects you need to deliver on?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a very good question, Omar. Um, I would tell you my personal approach. What I would do is just, I just have the conversations and just try to inspire people. Because what I've seen here is that we, we work with enormous talent uh, all around. And I know that most of the people want to do their best, right? It's a fun company. It's like, it's growing, uh, incredibly, uh, it's doing a lot of cool stuff. So, um, sometimes you get, uh, you get blockers because people are used to do things in a certain way. So I, I just make the time to, you know, just to, to, to meet the people. Uh, and when I'm not in the same country, of course, I, I, I try to make the time, even if it's a little bit late for me so most of the time, just to, just to talk them through, to talk a lot, actually, to make it, making sure that they understand fully uh, my drive. And it's contagious, I, I, I have to say, because then people start saying, oh, I, I, I really get it now. Moving into furniture as a service. So I've had to talk across the organization to make making sure that people understand what that means, because I get uh, sometimes a lot of questions from finance. What is this thing? It keeps recurring here, and why are we not purchasing this and that? And then you know, uh, part of the um, <laughs> part of the challenge has been like uh, uh, the education on that. Just to guys, we need to change the mindset, and it has very been very very positive. So I think for organizations is is that that is key, keeping that open mindset mindset, that we can do things in a different way.
0: And so when you think of the space, the space that you've shown off here that you're in right in this moment, obviously it's a huge investment. You talked about how your customers are really happy with it and that it's an ongoing experiment given the level of flexibility. What uh, evidence or even data, if there is any, that are you leveraging in order to continue to have that conviction that the space is doing what it needs to?
1: So our team is capturing uh, different sorts, streams of feedback, right? We are starting very, uh, in a very simple way, just like with heat maps, understanding, okay, is this working, not working? Then before you get like very complex feedback, right? Then we know that if, um, it, yeah, even sometimes with something that says happy face or, or, or sad face, right? Because then you know if you have a lot of uh, uh, sad faces, it's a red zone. So let's put attention to it. So that's that that would be uh, so that's uh, uh, an idea from one of my colleagues, and and it has been uh, functioning really well just to start. Right then there are other ways to to have deeper conversations. Uh, we're using Slack to get uh, also information through there. Jira tickets. Um, and other ways of like uh, doing workshops with several teams, with teams that we need to serve uh, specifically, uh, with uh, specific needs, I mean. Since we have put the principles in place to be flexible enough, uh, it's okay. So we are prepared that if we need to change uh, uh, two floors and completely change from workstations or other space types into a completely different typology, we can because we have put the right principles in place. I'd be interested to know, Jose,
2: like what are your, you're like this is a really big process and a journey you've been on for over a year now with building out Mira One. Uh, what are your like two biggest takeaways or lessons learned from this process?
1: The biggest takeaway is that that flexibility is key. If we ever go to another um, listed building is that we want to be 300% flexible at all levels from Every piece of every component that we put in here, we know that we should be uh, uh, very respectful of the architecture, very respectful of um, the spaces that we are in. So, um, flexibility is one. Uh, the second one would be to making sure that we put the right technology layer in place especially in buildings like this to do retrofits and everybody knows that it's just, uh, um, an ex- enormous challenge. And you being a tech company, you want to make sure that your technological layer is visible across the building is felt more than visible mm-hmm. that is felt. And right now, since we had to, um, move super fast to get the people in, it was kind of middle of the pandemic, uh, at the end of the pandemic, and then we needed to get the building ready. There are some things that we looked, um, yeah, we overlooked, and right now uh, it just creates uh, much more disruptions to actually come back and um, and address them. So mm-hmm. those two things: a flexibility and making sure that the technology, the the core technology layer that will support your your teams, it's it's in place
0: those are great lessons and i think those listening would likely agree and be really thankful to hear that advice based off of what you've experienced and what you've achieved here and so jose this has been excellent i can see how you're able to gain the flexibility that that you want to achieve and how that's so core and how experimentation really helps help support that. So that's great. We've had so much fun with you. We've had fun with mm-hmm. the monster in the back too. Now I'm just teasing. Uh, this has been wonderful, Jose. So thank you for spending the time with us. Say hello. We appreciate it. <laughs> thank
1: you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, thanks for having me. It was um, uh, really enjoy the conversation.
2: Hey there, this is Omar Ramirez, co-host of the True Understanding podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review to help us expand our reach and grow our community of workplace leaders. If you'd like to suggest a topic or guest, please drop us a line at trueunderstanding.vergesense.com. The True Understanding podcast is created by VergeSense. Over 130 global companies rely on VergeSense for a true understanding of how their workplaces are used so they can continuously and confidently optimize spaces to reduce costs and improve employee experiences.